And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, for our second holiday episode of the season. Uh, We teased this at the end of our last episode. This is Christmas at the Oscars. So co-host also, Mike, tell the people what we're doing today. So this is going to be a little trip through Oscars history, a way to talk about a bunch of the Christmas movie nominations and winners at the Academy Awards for us. I know we like... Uh, when we're able to come up with an excuse to talk about Oscar history, even though we're not necessarily an Oscar history podcast. Mm -hmm. But, look, we already did an underrated holiday movie show last week. Sure Yeah, I figured this was like the natural yang to the ying here. The classic. Yeah, the classy version, because we could have done overrated (laughs) holiday classics and just, you know, pulled our pants down on, like, ten beloved holiday classics but this is another this is a better way there's 17 uninterrupted minutes of me trashing the santa claus i think that's what the people really want to be honest verbal bowel movements against (laughs) jimmy stewart no 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 we like those movies we're not going to discuss how they're overrated because if you thought we were going to go that far heel we didn't thank god well that remains to be seen, I guess, but there's still time before Christmas. But all right, as usual, uh, for this episode anyway, we will invent some stakes and pick our favorites in each category with multiple movies. But really, yeah, like Mike said, this is more just a fun way to talk about Christmas movies and Oscars history. Though, as you also said, Mike, yeah, we did an underrated top five show where you were supposed to take the high road and avoid all negative reviews, but you didn't. You crushed like 20 movies in a row en route to what is your fifth your number five most underrated holiday movie, but maybe out of a, a, a sense of the season here, as a Christmas gift, you want to correct the record on at least one of those that you trashed. I do, because this was an unfair trashing because I didn't see it. I watched like the first 15 minutes and I literally fell asleep. I put it on too late <laughs> at night. I actually finished the movie. Uh, I don't love the movie, but I give it like a C plus, B minus. It's strong. There's like five things about it that are really, really awesome. Jingle Jangle. It's the new Christmas musical on Netflix. It is a preposterous kids' film that Mike. It somehow mixes blind faith and Christmassy things. Like I don't know what they're believing in, but they just keep saying believe. But they mix that. <laughs> they mix that with honest to goodness math and math prodigies, which I really enjoy in, in a Christmas movie. Uh, but I think they create Skynet. Uh, maybe 200 <laughs> years early than Skynet is supposed to be created uh-huh. for Judge to say there. Anyway, Good. look, Jingle Jangle's a lot of fun. There's some great performances, some stupendous production values, like the set design, costumes, they're right on Oscar level. So if, if this, I, I got to look, if this movie's eligible, it might have a chance. But two star-making performances as well, like Keegan-Michael Key, He might be beyond a star. He might be a superstar at this point after Jingle Jangle and after the prom. He can sing and dance like he's going to be the next big song and dance man. Keegan-Michael Key. It's crazy how the two guys from Mad TV have become like, one guy is just a hit in everything he does, and he's a song and dance man. The other guy's like the master of the horror genre right now. It's just, it's wild. It's incredible. And I was so impressed with him. His song is a knockout. I also loved, I mean, one of the my favorite supporting actor performances this year, just because it's so funny, Lisa Davina Phillips, her Ms. Johnston. I mean, that shtick she's got going with Forrest Whitaker is hilarious. So worth the price of, of a click 
on uh, Netflix there just to watch Keegan-Michael Key and Lisa Davina Phillip. I mean, they are hilarious. They're really good. Uh, it's Again, B- minus if you, you need a you know, mindless new Christmas movie you know, for yourself or for the kids. It, th- this is a fine choice. Jingle Jangle. All right, so you're a fan of Jingle Jangle, and you 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 had maybe uh, you hadn't seen it enough as to That's right. why you were not that high on it in our last episode. But hence as far the as guilt, this, yeah, the crushing right, yeah. Christmas guilt. I, I, I deserve to give it a full review. I felt bad that I was like I didn't get through it. I mean, I half-assed it. It was my fault. Well, we have other movies that we can half-ass for this episode. Uh, <laughs> if you're in the mood, we found 23 Oscar-nominated Christmas films, and we let Wikipedia decide whether or not the film was considered a quote Christmas film or not because they have a humongous list of Christmas films. So Oscar winners with Christmas scenes but not considered Christmas movies by Wikipedia include Meet Me in St. Louis, which I don't understand how that's not a Christmas movie, right? but okay. Uh, all the Little Women films, I'm more, I, I get that. I'm okay One with scene, that. Yeah. Holiday Inn, Bizarre, <laughs> Edward Scissorhands, Sure, and Green Book, which I think could go either way. So after I did all the research, I thought about the list and I kind of went to our underrated doc and I was Mm -hmm. like, wait a minute, meet me in St. Louis. I didn't put this anywhere, but this is my blaming of Wikipedia right here. This is Mm. how we can, you know, duck essentially from people who think meet me in St. Louis is probably rightly a Christmas film because it's like 25 minutes of Christmas in there, Holiday Inn, etc. Anyway. I'm gonna I'm gonna duck from the criticisms there, and I'm also going to mention uh, InSessionFilm.com. They publish their top ten Christmas scenes from non-Christmas movies, and to preview some of the Oscar nominees out of that list, catch me if you can. Goodfellas, either of the Harry Potter films they mentioned that were nominated for Oscars, they're not in this list either. Because again, I can blame Wikipedia, but hey, the words of wisdom today are also going to be donate to Wikipedia. So you see how I could speak out of both sides of my mouth and praise something and hate something at the same time i wish i had this tact in other episodes in our past mike nobody sits on a fence like mike (laughs) mike and oscar we've said that previously in many other episodes and we're living up to that standard to begin this one for sure all right let's go through all the oscar categories we do have entries for i think all but one category as a matter of fact uh so that'll be fun to get into we're going to uncover some gems we're going to uncover some questionable oscar decisions i think along the way uh should be a fun christmasy episode for you guys let's start with documentary short michael christmas under fire was a nominee in 1941 this was a british oh this was an american short made about the british winter the british christmas of 1940 before pearl harbor of 1941 before we got involved in that war and this just felt like a giant guilt trip trying to galvanize (laughs) galvanize americans mike this was the most depressing fucking thing I ever watched. I actually went out of my way, and to also Mike's credit here, he dug up a bunch of YouTube clips. Uh, some full shorts are on there, some other. But I actually watched this thing, start to finish. It is the there's no harder hope here. Yeah. It's just a relentless onslaught of depression after relentless onslaught. The church bells can't ring, for it means the invader is coming. The theaters are bombed. The customers are dead. My like my God. I made it through like two minutes of that, and I skipped ahead. I skipped ahead. You're better man than me. You got through it, but yeah, you're the more negative Nancy of the Nancy. I'm the yeah, are, I'm yeah. the negative person, and even I was like, "This is depressing." <laughs> well, I'm glad we mentioned it again. That is uh, <laughs> that is Christmas under fire. Doc, Starting on a high note, Doc Short nominee. All right, 
animated shorts. We got uh, two of them here, Mike. Mm -hmm. And 1971's Oscar winner was A Christmas Carol, and this starred the 1951 film version of Scrooge, the voice of Alastair Sim. And uh, he made, you know, he reprises his role in this 25-minute version of A Christmas Carol. Yeah, quality animation, quality storytelling. It's efficient for the Christmas Carol story if you don't have time to sit through one of the longer movies. But, you know, I mean, I'm not sure there's a whole lot more other than what you get here. It's a Christmas Carol. How many different ways can it be done, you know? I was impressed that they got a lot of the key lines in here. I did jump around this one, too. I watched some stretches of five minutes here, five minutes there. So... I think if you forgot to watch any Christmas Carol this year, you can go right. on YouTube and look up <laughs> right. a Christmas Carol 1971 animated, something like that, and watch 25 minutes right here and get your fill, Christmas Carol. Fill again. your uh, holly jolly quota there, yeah. Right. So the other short animated short is 1982's The Snowman, and we have some beef here, Michael. Because <laughs> yeah, go ahead. That's not how you make a snowman. I mean, mm-hmm. this kid has offended God. He has offended <laughs> nature by this one-piece snowman. And the devil possessed it mm-hmm. and took this little boy away from his family. In parentheses, I wrote, I clearly skipped around this YouTube video as well, and I'm taking this story wildly out of context. But that's the way it seemed. It seems like he was abducted by a snowman. Penis. It's a, uh, <laughs> the snowman in this animated film is a giant white penis. Or a Ew. snowman who walks like Morpheus in the Matrix where he holds yeah. his forearms and his hands behind his. But, the, I mean, literally, it's not a snowman at all. It's just It's just a phallic. It's a phallic symbol. It's a white phallic symbol. And the kid doesn't even get dressed outside. Yeah, this is this is a scary thing because kids are involved. This is a gross thing. Uh, nobody should watch this movie that I well, watched. All right. in, let me let me let me it, step I watched in this and, in school, by the way. I, do you of course you did. You watched everything in school. I, I actually I was horrified in the first five minutes of this. It's like a twenty two minute short. Yeah, they, I mean, there's some heart at the end. It does get very cute. It has some very Christmassy songs, but Going back to your original point, yes, the kid is abducted. Can you think of anything more objectively horrifying than being the lone human in an animated snow person dance circle, as is what happens in this movie? Yeah, don't show your kids this movie. This is this 1982's The Snowman, based on this beloved child book that was shown to me in my religious school back in the day, uh, is really a, a house of horrors. I have no idea why your school would have showed you. What was the What was the context it was probably you know shut the fuck up kids and give the teacher a break for an hour <laughs> that's probably the most what important happening. of all educational lessons but you know because fifth and sixth grade wasn't like uh fifth and sixth grade is now where the kids move around right we didn't, we didn't move around at all back then and the teacher was probably like you know yeah Here's Watch this minutes. horror story from 1982 <laughs> it might be phallic it might not be we'll see what kids get it michael Live action short, and this was funny. This was just blatantly funny. I watched most of this. On the Twelfth Day is a movie about a guy dating a girl, and he gives her, and it's just a a choir singing the Twelve Days of Christmas (laughs) on the Twelfth Day of Christmas. (laughs) And he gives her all of the gifts every day. Yes, it's great. So at the end of it, on like the seventh or eighth day, she has a house full of turtle doves and french hens it's just overrun with birds it's very funny i'm surprised how well it holds up to uh, today's standards of comedy for something that would debuted in 1955 and it's also every romantic courtship i've ever taken part oh, in no. just 
overrun them with gifts and aviary until you beat them into submission. And you're single, I would point out. Uh, Mike, all right, let's get into our first real category. But it is wild to look up some of these Christmas shorts. And it's sad that we don't get Christmas shorts nominated anymore unless it's like about a kid dying of seven cancers. And the uh, children and were splattered yeah. all amongst the battlefield. Yeah. Right, yeah. Documentary short, they've always been, you know, simpatico with uh, all of the ills of the world, I guess. But uh, yeah. at least yeah. the other, I mean, we, I mean, we should get an animated Christmas short at some point. At there's some a couple time. categories here yeah. where I'm like, I can't believe there's not more options. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Anyway, visual effects, 1992-93, The Nightmare Before Christmas was the nominee, Mike. And there is... Uh, like a six-minute YouTube video on how they filmed actual fire and overlaid it into, you know, Jack Skellington's hand. And this is a stop-motion uh, animated film. So how did they get real fire in there? Okay. Yes, the effects are impressive. How dare you, <laughs> Wikipedia or anyone, classify this as a Christmas movie? This is clearly a Halloween movie. Okay. So that, it's, that, it, it debuted October 29th, even, with the year it came out. And I, I, I'm just offended beyond belief that this would be listed as a Christmas movie. So is I haven't seen this movie in like 15, 20 years. Me either. Okay. So I, I don't remember the plot. I mean, it's obviously on Christmas Eve, and they're turning Christmas into Halloween is what they're doing. It's There's Christmas Town, right? And they're just, they, Jack Skellington can't believe how bright and vibrant Christmas Town is, so he wants to kidnap Santa Claus and takes it over, I believe is the premise. I'm, I, fe- I feel fairly confident that's exactly what happened. Don't question me on it. Lost to Jurassic Park. It's on <laughs> Disney Plus right now. Maybe we need a refresher. Mike, Die Hard in 1988-89, Lost to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, this is cool to research because Die Hard used a lot of miniatures kind of like yeah. Star Wars style instead you know you know like destroying real buildings or you know trying to make it all CGI and this is all in camera effects with miniatures We've settled that debate right Die Hard is a Christmas movie we can all move on from this internet meme that's been kind of over our lives for the past decade well wikipedia is like meet me in st louis you got 30 minutes oh that's a good point (laughs) but we have one run dmc song (laughs) and die hard and therefore yeah it is i like that okay matter settled then wikipedia said so michael perhaps one of the most underrated christmas movies that we probably should have mentioned but because we're so high on it we're so yeah, high I don't know on that it's underrated. That's the thing. Yeah, we don't exactly think it's underrated. Yeah. And Phil Twitter's been all over it. Batman Returns, some great VFX in Batman Returns, and to me, there's there's miniatures, there's models, there's beams of light added in in post, there's snow added in in post with layers of cinematography. There are penguins and bats, CGI. Mm. Some of the first uses of CGI. There are penguins with rocket launchers on their back, backs, shooting scaled models. There's a bat missile, aka bat penis. There is, of course, perhaps the most memorable set of shots. Selena Kyle going out the window. Later on, it happens with another character falling out of the window into a Christmas present. The the yeah. shots of people falling in this movie are some of the best ever. Yeah, that, that Selena Kyle fall was for my childhood what, ironically, the Hans Gruber fall likely was for yours. It's just, like, burned into my brain. Is that a pot shot at my old age? <laughs> Absolutely. That's exactly what it was. Thank you for picking up on that so I didn't yeah, have to no, say. No, I don't... These behind-the-scenes stuff it, it is really magical. I don't know how some of this stuff gets done. One of my biggest weaknesses just 
forever has been my inability to picture things logistically in space without seeing it in front of myself. So this is all just dark magic to me, the way that the effects teams are able to pull off some of these things. Well, watch that video. I mean, really, just anybody can just search Batman Returns VFX on their YouTube, and they'll show you kind of exactly how it was done. And it's in camera, and it blew my mind as well. So that, that is available on YouTube. I mean, they built an animatronic Michelle Pfeiffer, which in 1991 looked exactly like the actor. It was like they did it like it was nothing. It's crazy. And I'll tell you something else. As far as the uh, the categorization of these awards go, I don't understand how these VFX aren't considered the film's production design as well. Because like you said, and it's in both the Batman behind the scenes for Batman Returns and the Die Hard behind the scenes, the miniatures become the actual sets for a couple shots in each yeah. of the films. So right. I don't know what, what differentiates them from being VFX versus being production design or set design. Well, it's it's cool to hear them talk about it because they they were making that argument amongst themselves. I mean, the, the crew yeah. members, they're like, you know, we got to use these as exactly. sets at right. some point. I know they're models. I know they're VFX shots. But at some point, we're going to film through them and film mm-hmm. everything through them. And they really felt that way. They were very uh, – they took a lot of ownership on uh, for that. Uh, but, okay, Mike, Batman Returns, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Die Hard, your favorite of these VFX Christmas at the Oscars nominees? Yeah, with, uh, with apologies to uh... – the first movie, The Nightmare Before Christmas, I think I was most impressed with the two other videos, the Die Hard and the Batman one. Yeah. Nakatomi Tower being all fake, essentially. I mean, it's a built miniature. It's a 30-foot <laughs> tall miniature that they built on a lot, uh, which I wasn't aware of. It's really, really crazy stuff. I think I was more wowed by Die Hard. What about you? I'm actually going to say Batman Returns, yeah. but it was just because of those two shots. Like, I, I can get how they made things happen in Die Hard. I'm really impressed but mm-hmm. like even still like you said it's really we haven't seen many shots like Selena Kyle falling out the skyscraper we haven't yeah. seen many like that now, people haven't tried to replicate it and they cobble pop manner there what they did with that too was really cool so many camera effects swooping crane yeah. shots into miniatures out of miniatures really really impressive stuff and it, and and then you layer the cinematography with snow and bats and i i think batman returns would be my pick there For number five, Mike, we have film editing, but we're kind of going to punt on this one and just kind of talk about late Christmas viewing habits between us because the two nominees for film editing are It's a Wonderful Life and Die Hard, which is like comparing oranges to Die Hard. doesn't really make sense. The two protagonists should switch roles here and go in each other's movie. (laughs) That would be fun. (laughs) We should write it. Anyway, it's like... It's like Die Hard, but on a James Stewart. Anyway. Uh, now I have the machine gun. Uh. <laughs> Excellent. Now I want that movie. Which one do you, when do you watch It's a Wonderful Life? Do you watch it every two years, three years? When do you watch Die Hard? I I watch Die Hard sporadically. I watch It's a Wonderful Life for probably the last seven or eight years in a row. I watch it every year on Christmas Eve because NBC yeah. plays it. Okay. And I, it's like, it's appointment viewing for me. Okay, so you still have appointments and uh, for your viewing and your weird. I'm a very old, old, old television watcher. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking about myself. I think in the last two Christmas Eves, like Christmas Eve day, waiting for Christmas Eve night, I watch Die Hard, and I wonder if that's a new tradition that I'm creating for myself. And it's not I like should I'm... watch. You're convincing me. I should rewatch Die Hard, though. Yeah. I mean, you gotta rewatch Die Hard. It's been a while yeah. for me too. I, I was kind of like pushing, needling you the all, all you know season. Maybe we should review Die Hard. Anyway, yeah. this is me being passive aggressive, wanting to do a retrospective <laughs> on Die Hard. But okay, so Die Hard will be our 
pick there, I guess. But uh, even though It's a Wonderful Life is a movie that uh, everybody should watch every Christmas. Yes, no agree. Doubt. All right, cinematography. Carol is the only nominee here, and there are a million reasons to watch this movie, but uh, you haven't yet, Mike. Yeah, I haven't seen this. I'm not proud of that. But uh, speaking of director Todd Haynes, who did Carol, IMDb wants me to believe that Dark Waters came out just last year, and that's impossible. Mm. Because I know for a fact that movie debuted like not a month shorter than what feels like seven or eight years ago at this point. <laughs> There's no way he lost that amount of weight. <laughs> Mark Ruffalo, <laughs> this quick. I just remember being in a theater watching that preview for the first time, and that feels like it was like not a day shorter than 2015. Well, that's a tremendous job of deflecting my guilt trip by you. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> as for the Carol cinematography, I'll just say this. What they do with windows of all shapes and sizes in Carol might be the best cinematography involving windows since Orson Welles removed panes of glass in Citizen Kane. I mean, car windows, shop windows, wet windows, cold windows, snow on the windows. I mean, love through glass is like a motif in Carol that I have not seen in other movies before. It is fascinating, and for hopeless romantics out there, Carol is available on Netflix for your Christmas rewatch, your sad Christmas COVID rewatch, but... I do have to watch that one. It was nominated for a billion Oscars. And yeah, we're going to talk about the kind of that Oscar race as we go forward. All right. Here's, I have to admit my own guilty, uh, watch for the first time. Watch here. Costume design. Michael, two nights ago, I watched Scrooge from 1970. You mentioned it. You mentioned it in your, uh, your, in our last Christmas episode. And yeah, this is a great movie. I thoroughly enjoyed your Scrooge after being sick and tired of all Scrooges. I didn't want to watch another Scrooge. I watched The Family Man, which was kind of, you know, one quarter Scrooge. I watched the uh, George C. Scott version, which was all the Scrooge I had needed this season. And I begrudgingly (laughs) hit play because I said I would on your 1970 Scrooge. And the costumes are terrific. The, uh, the production design, everything, that Albert Finney performance is as awesomely bad as awesomely bad gets. Yes, I mean, it, it is. Me, it reminded me of Tom Hardy as Al Capone, Dracula Capone there. <laughs> I, yeah, I could see that. That's but, fair. But Finney is so super talented, and it's such a transformation when he has the flashback scenes. I am in awe of the costumes of everything in your 1970 Scrooge. I'm very – I'm heartwarmed to hear this. But you could see where I say it's like – the absurdity, it's so British. It's such a British thing. It's almost Monty Python levels. It is the most British thing I've ever seen. <laughs> they sing in Cockney accents. Thank you film. very much. Thank you very much. That's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. If That's you, literally how it's said. In the, if you in the ever have the audacity to make fun of my Anglophileness again, I swear to God, I'm just going to start singing that song. That's happening. You've been breaking my balls about this for years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for years. Yeah. And this is your favorite Christmas movie ever. Well, in my defense, I don't say it's my favorite because it's good. <laughs> But it is really good. I mean, it did work on me. I was very, very surprised that you recommended a movie of this caliber, of this Oscar level to me that I have not seen. Uh, and uh, I, that's just an absolute hubris on my part in this relationship between us. I'm very glad to have opened your eyes to something. I was angry at you that you recommended <laughs> such a good movie. Good, good. 
Mike, maybe I could do for you what you've done for me because I know you have not watched this yet. I have not. The Lion in Winter could give you the same feeling. Uh, Catherine Hepburn, Peter O'Toole, a young Anthony Hopkins, a young Timothy Dalton. The costumes in this are kind of silly 1940s, but whatever, it got nominated because they're very colorful and bright. Yeah, amongst uh, other things. I mean, these, this and Scrooge, these are the first two entries that are proof that that stereotype about the Academy loving themselves some period piece yeah. garb when it comes to the costume design category is true. Lion and Winter lost out in this category to Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet, which I actually had to sit through in my high school freshman literature class. Hmm. And there's a shot in this movie. I think I've talked about this on the show before, but if I haven't, there's a shot in the Zeffirelli version that's just a bare-ass backside of Romeo. That's and right. our assignment was we had to shoot, make our own Romeo and Juliet movie, and we had to like go about our own. We were like in groups of three and four. We had to make our own. And we went to my buddy's house to do it, and we shot it. And just apropos of nothing, with no context, in the middle of the movie, he lived on a farm, so we just put like a 35, 45-second yeah. shot of a horse's ass oh. that was on his farm in the backside. It's just the horse's butt. Just in the in the shot, and I just said, do you notice any similarities between our version and the Zeffirelli version? So what I'm saying here is, I should have an Oscar too. You should have an Oscar too, and mm-hmm. I thought that story was heading towards like spiraling towards child pornography, and you all got in <laughs> no, trouble. No, God, and you were no. all locked Jesus up in your whole Christ! Well, well, somebody showed their butt on screen, and you're a 15 year old kid. I mean, no. obviously, <laughs> we had to show it in class. You sick I know, fuck! But it, you would have been the sick fuck. That's what I was like as a teacher. Uh, as as a, somebody has to work with kids. I was Jesus. Like, oh my God. No. What if they moon the camera? These idiot, these 15 year old idiots. And then everybody's in trouble. Everybody's in trouble. Not just them because they're Good idiots. We're all, everybody's in trouble. But thank Go God. to the next movie, please. Go to the next movie. <laughs> Horse's ass. Thank you very much. Uh, the Lion in Winter is better than that conversation that we just had. Hard Michael, disagree. How the Grinch stole. <laughs> we're never going to get past this. How the Grinch stole Christmas is. Yeah. Some of the best costumes I've ever seen. How did it not win? I don't know how that movie didn't win every below-the-line category, every technical category. I mean, it's they're goofy, but they look so yeah. real. I mean, that is a that is a Grinch that looks like a real bean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. I'm going to have more about it as we go on here because it's going to pop up in a few more categories. Well, I think they gave it credit in the, in the other category. Finally, Carol is the last of these noms, and it's just very impressive that Carol put together the i mean it's high fashion the the high fashion that you get throughout this story but the fact that carol was nominated for score cinematography and yes costumes here just makes that best picture snub so Mm. i mean it's so glaring i mean look we had eight best picture nominees that year if we had a flat 10 carol's getting nominated no question i would think so yeah spotlight big short bridge of spies brooklyn Fury Road, Martian Revenant, Room. Like, I don't know how this movie did not get nominated over Bridge of Spies. I mean, it's offensive to me. I did not like that movie that much, even though I think Ryan Lance is good, Hanks is always good, fine, Spielberg's always, well, you know, a, a floor of quality. But uh, my goodness, even Brooklyn. I like Brooklyn, but Carol's better than Brooklyn, in my opinion. Anyway, 
I think the Spielberg thing is uh, is part of what ended up getting Bridges Prize that Best Picture nom. But yeah, yeah, six noms for Carol. That's actually three short of the record for most noms a single movie has without a Best Picture nomination. That record of nine noms without a Best Picture nom belongs, ironically, again, to 1969's They Shoot Horses, Don't They, which debuted hmm. the same year as Zeffirelli movie Beat Outline in Winter for Best Costume. So there you go. Full circle. Beautiful thing. Wow. And here's my second conversation about a Heine. No. Uh, <laughs> I do remember watching that Romeo and Juliet movie, though, in class that you were talking about. Oh, and, God. Uh, I remember being bored out of my mind with it. I remember, yeah, I remember the teacher told us, he's like, guys, I got this in the butt only section of the video store. <laughs> remember video stores? And FYI, there's going to be a, a butt in this movie. And, and he's now arrested. Yeah. No, we're all cheering. We're like, we're idiots. And everybody's cheering for the, the beautiful girl in the movie. I think we're it's going to be girl butt. No, you got a little. I think it's going to be girl butt. It's yeah. man butt. And it, yeah. It was Romeo like, butt right in your face. It was a groan in the classroom. I remember that as like the highlight of the movie. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Costume design. Scrooge 1970. The Lion in Winter. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Carol as uh you know your picks here it's got to be grinch for me yeah I, it, it seems pretty easy to lion and winter is more like the the medieval garb carol is they're nice costumes they're like 19 what 50s 1940s right but in scrooge is kind of the same thing but it's it's uh, grinch is just unbelievable looking back on it if i'm ddl from phantom thread i would say carol if i'm not yeah. and i'm not then I would have to say The Grinch as well. How The Grinch Stole Christmas 2000. Michael, makeup and hairstyling. Batman Returns, mainly for Penguin's prosthetics, I would say. I wasn't invited to the party, so I figured I'd crash. (laughs) I didn't know how long that quote was going. (laughs) Scrooged with Bill Murray, there is some great Jacob Marley makeup. Yeah, Jamie Farr is completely unrecognizable. Mm. Uh, as Jacob Marley in that movie. And Carol Kane is as white as her hair is big in that movie. And also, how about Alfre Woodard is Bill Murray's assistant in that movie, which is not a realization I had until I was doing prep work for this episode. Hmm. I would have never recognized that. Wow. I uh, did not remember her being in there. That's yeah. Cool. And also, Scrooge has a 38 meta rating, Mike. Yeah. I mean, and I'm the one who's a Christmas curmudgeon? Well, uh, I ne- 38?! I all right, I didn't want to get mad at movies, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. Maybe Scrooge is a blind spot for me, but I watched that movie once, and it was like too much Bill Murray for me. Give me a grade right now on your just based on your memory of it. I was not a fan, even though I would probably give it you know high grade high marks for production values. Now that I know, I mean, what's it? What's a D is sixty, right? Sixty five. No, there wasn't that. It'd probably be at least a C. Right. I mean, thirty eight. Come on. Right. And I would imagine it's better. I mean, what about Bob? I rewatched that and it wasn't as annoying as my first watch. I get annoyed <laughs> by comedians who go too far. But then again, I like Adam Sandler sometimes. So mm-hmm. I have issues. And by that you mean all the time. Right. He's never right. made a bad movie. Right. Me- 38 meta ratings, probably too low. Okay. Uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas is also in this category. It won makeup and hairstyling in 2000. And Michael. Like the Grinch that actually looks like a real creature, the braids on the who hairdos, Amazing. and then you know you got the comparing that to Jacob Marley and Scrooge and Danny DeVito's prosthetics as a penguin man. Uh, yeah. How do you choose here? 
I mean, it, well, the backstory is what sways it for me. So I'm going to say The Grinch, and it's because of Jim Carrey, who mm. famously, I think it was back in 2014, I want to say, on the Graham Norton show, recounted what an awful experience being transformed into The Grinch was. <laughs> because on the first day, he said it took him eight and a half hours just in the makeup chair to become the Green Christmas Ruiner. And that experience, he got up from the makeup chair after being in full Grinch garb, went back to his trailer put his leg through the wall and screamed at Ron Howard saying that he wasn't doing the movie. Uh, Carrie was like notoriously mad and notoriously wanted to get off the Grinch because he just couldn't take the makeup. Kazuhiro Suji, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that name, mm-hmm. is the name of the unfortunate person who applied the makeup to Carrie and had to deal with daily outbursts, as Suji would tell it, from Carrie himself. So how do we resolve this? What happened? Well, how did Carrie end up staying on and being calmed down? Mm-hmm. They brought in a CIA operative oh who's God. a specialist in dealing with torture. <laughs> and he had to coach Jim Carrey into how to sit through the, being, the makeup applied to him, which Carrey said he put on for a hundred separate times throughout yeah. the filming of that movie. And he just he told him different tips and secrets as to how to not lose his mind and get so angry just sitting there. That is fascinating yeah. because if you've watched anything Jim Carrey has done or any of the interviews he's done lately, mm-hmm. like when he did a thing with Conan, when he did the uh, comedians in cars getting coffee, apparently like he is a visual artist. Now he will stay in his art studio mm-hmm. and just for hours and hours and hours. So I wonder if that CIA training and that makeup chair actually kind of paved the way for his last 15, 20 years of being a visual artist. Uh, could very well be. There is definitely a connection there, and there's got to be... Look, if you're in that makeup chair, even if you perfect the Grinch, right? If it takes eight and a half hours the first time, how long do you think it takes in the 99th time once you've perfected the process? Still, like five hours, four Still hours minimum? Way too long. Yeah, God bless crazy. them. God bless them, everyone. I agree with you how the Grinch stole Christmas is my makeup and hairstyling pick as well. Anyway, let's go into production design now. And the lone nominee, Michael, is your movie, Scrooge from 1970. And fun fact about this film, it was shot at the same legendary Shepherd and Studios in England there, Surrey, England, that A Muppet Christmas Carol was shot at last year that we praised for production design. Yeah last year so i'm not surprised by how good this movie looked no me either and i didn't know that fact until i read your research there and i you know there was something very familiar about the muppets christmas carol and (laughs) it did look eerily similar to uh what i watched so many times as a child so that's really really cool to find out um anything the lighting was kind of similar the same yeah oh yeah yeah it made sense I'm surprised at the lack of Christmas movies with production design noms. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if you overlooked this one. The Grinch actually did have a production design nomination. Oh, whoops. uh, Art direction, set direction. It lost to uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. But, I mean, they made basically a practical Whoville for that. So if that wasn't nominated for basically set design, I would have lost my shit. So I think that's what I'm picking even over Scrooge. Okay, I'm glad you did some extra research. And if anybody's at home and keeping score at home, I basically go up and down the Wikipedia list, click on every movie, and that's how I figure out what's been nominated for Oscars and what hasn't been nominated for Oscars. You are a madman, yes. I made a mistake there, and I didn't realize How dare you miss one nom? I missed fraud, but I probably missed like four noms. So I probably well, yeah, that too. I mean, if we are glaringly missing something, do let us know and, and fill us in. We want to know. Do let us know. But like you said, at the beginning of the, uh, of the intro here, it, it's kind of a ha- not a half ass, maybe a 
four-fifths ass. An <laughs> 80% ass. 80% ass job uh, mm-hmm. on this, but I, I did my best. I, I put it together over a couple days, a couple sessions, but it's, yeah, it's, I missed a nom there. Anyway, I guess by, out of guilt, I have to pick your nomination. Uh, no, I didn't research it. I have to go with Scrooge 1970. Anyway. Tenth category here. It's really the tenth and the eleventh categories. Best sound. I don't have a lot on this one because again, you kind of got to watch the movies. But yeah. Lethal Weapon is considered a Christmas movie by Wikipedia, nominated for best sound. Guys, The Polar Express was nominated for mixing and editing. Die Hard was nominated for best sound and best sound effects. It's a Wonderful Life was nominated for best sound recording, which was one of several sound categories back in the 1940s. What do you think of this category? These categories, Michael, has anybody ever understood them whatsoever? No, I mean sound. I'm sure I'm just disrespecting the sound, the hardworking sound editors and sound mixers out there. Uh, I could tell you that lay people uh, that aren't in that industry, like us, n- no, have not. Uh, I remember, as far as this category of those, I remember being most impressed by the sound of the Polar Express. I'm sure that's because I had the most attachment to the story, the actual book as a child. Oh, so good. I was probably more into it the first time watching. But I'm sure if I dove into either of the action movies, I'd be wowed, especially Die Hard, because of what we talked about and how meticulous the technicals were and how amazing they were, especially for an action movie at the time, which, again, I really do highly recommend everyone go seek out the uh, behind-the-scenes for both Die Hard and Batman Returns about what the uh, VFX was and how they were done in those movies. Mm-hmm. It's a Wonderful Life lost out best sound recording to the Jolson story, which really just feels racist and even talking yeah. about it. So we should probably just move on quick. Well, I tell you, the Trial of the Chicago 7 should get nominated this year. And that reminded me of the It's a Wonderful Life uh, nomination. And I'm also asking similar questions about mm-hmm. racism mm-hmm. regarding all these movies. So, yeah, I mean, white guys should uh, just talk really fast and move on. I guess you're right. Uh, good God. Sound category, it's not your fault. But we didn't, We I just, like, understood mixing and editing. And now we're all best sound design jumbled into one category yeah but i don't think we'll have i don't know if we'll have an action movie a music movie and then like a drama like chicago 7 this year we might but i mean i guess well tenant is is being crushed online through on film twitter so tenant is probably the obvious sound nominee that would have been that could have been that won't be anyway well he should have christopher nolan's big mistake was not putting a bong that played in every scene like he did with inception that is a mistake. Michael, original Making song. This is easy. <laughs> <laughs> original song. We have 1970s. Thank you very much from Scrooge. Right. Preposterous that that got nominated. <laughs> I like the, the use of It's a of catchy it, song. It's a nice song. It fits well in the movie. Best song? Oscar level song? Look, Come on. it's not like, you know, Coco Remember Me levels of different experiences. <laughs> Thank you. There are two times in that movie where it plays, and the first time I laugh really hard, and the second time I, uh, I I was tearing up. I mean, the movie worked on me, and I've seen. I'm very happy to hear that. I'm very I'm I'm very proud that that you took the dive and it worked mm-hmm. on you. But I mean, this uh, you know, it's a Monty Python song. I can't. There's no other way to explain it. <laughs> I loved it though. I really did. It was the highlight of the film for me. I really really enjoyed it. Oh, the Polar God. Express believe michael this was performed by josh groban do you have an attachment to either josh or polar express like you said this no is- but this is such josh groban song okay <laughs> i uh, mean it's so josh groban we have home alone somewhere in my memory now this is the song that was sung in the choir right in the church i thought like this was just some reprised oh, yeah, christmas yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah. I just thought that was a Christmas carol that so they took from somewhere and they sang it in the church. No, I was totally fooled years and years later now that this is an original song. I'm with you. And that's actually my winner, too. I mean, that's that sound is Christmas to me. That's one of the mm-hmm. sounds of Christmas, you know? It's so, I don't know how, whether it was John Hughes or I, I don't know who the hell, how they pulled that off. But my God, I'm like you. I'm shocked to hear that's an original. Well, my winner's going to be thank you very much because of how much I enjoyed that song. But that would be my second. And the, the White Christmas song, Count Your Blessings Instead of Sheep, I refuse to hit play on because I may watch White Christmas as we get closer to Christmas. But I I, I don't know. I just I don't want a White Christmas song that's not White Christmas. And I realize that's not an original song. They probably made White Christmas because of the carol White Christmas or the hit song White Christmas. That's why the movie existed. Say White Christmas again. <laughs> All right, original score. Scrooge 1970, Trading Places. Yeah, that's you want to talk about category fraud. I what mean, a score though. Okay. Did you click play on it? I, I mean, did. Good God. Well, it's Mozart. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 a Mozart song. Okay. Yeah, maybe I should have recognized that that's Mozart. And maybe people were dumb like me. Uh, the comment section of that YouTube video is just hilarious, too. It's just people, this is, this is Mozart's song. Well, all right. So Rube's like, like us and the Academy nominated it for an original score. The Preacher's Wife. This was Hans Zimmer. Obviously, the soundtrack was you know selling through the roof because Whitney Houston is involved in this Denzel Washington movie. This is a solid movie, I remember. I don't know if it's underrated, overrated uh, in terms of Christmas. Maybe it is a bit underrated. I was considering it for our last episode. I don't know that I've ever seen it, but you're right. It's loaded with talent, and the score was just delightful. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's it Hans really Zimmer, so of course it would be, but it's just so good. Well, I guess if you were... In the world of the Lion in Winter, you would expect the score from the Lion in Winter. It's just a bunch of horns. It was the winner <laughs> that year from John Barry. A bunch of horns, a bunch of like, you know, announcing of arrivals and, and that kind of thing. And I, mm-hmm. you know, for a play that's kind of smaller scale and in a lot of regal rooms, you needed this booming score to remind you that you're, you know, in the, in the, in the room where it happened to take a you know phrase from Hamilton. There. The presence of royalty. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so the score sold you like game yeah. of Thrones season one before they had the budgets they had. Anyway, Carol Carter Burwell's score is haunting as hell. It's brilliant. The, again, re- reason to watch this movie, Mike, just for the score alone. Am I watching Carol? Or am I watching lion in winter? Pick one for me. Oh, if you're – how do I pick? One's like an all-time favorite, another's a new classic. I don't know. How how romantic are you feeling? What, I mean, what, what – do you know me? Does the – well, do you want <laughs> – all right, The Lion in Winter. <laughs> the Hopeless Romantic, you should watch Carol. But see, you're, you're, you're a defense mechanism. You're a walking defense mechanism in this regard, so I probably should say Carol. Anyway, Home Alone, how – do we pick against our childhood favorite? I there can't. are so many melodies from that score, Michael, that just haunt our dreams, that score our every Christmas, score our entire childhood. Yeah, uh, Home Alone to me is the best, but again, it's probably because of the nostalgia factor there and growing up with it and whatnot. The only other note I thought was really cool is my outrage at Scrooge's song and score and all that being Oscar-worthy is kind of <laughs> underscored by the fact that it was beaten out 
in the best music in film category mm-hmm. by Let It Be by the Beatles. Can you imagine wow. <laughs> if that music from Scrooge <laughs> beat out Let It Be? <laughs> yeah, that'd be a problem. That'd be a problem. Anyway, uh, sometimes I give the Academy a lot of crap, and sometimes they should be... Sometimes they vote Let It Be over Thank You Very Much. <laughs> We have a complex relationship with our Academy guys. Mike, Mike, and Oscar is a strange uh, dynamic that the two Mikes have with that trophy. But there, we agree with the trophy. Michael, I'm I'm also picking John Williams' score for Home Alone uh, for nostalgic reasons, uh, amongst many others. Uh, I'm surprised it didn't win that year. But uh, Carter Burwell's score from Carol, and and all these are are really strong, strong uh, nominations. Agree, agree. Anyway... Next category is documentary feature, and there's nothing here, and rightfully so, because if this branch ever nominated a Christmas documentary, and there's a bunch out there, I, I mean, look up, do any Google search, 12 Christmas documentaries or whatever, you can find Christmas documentaries, but that branch is not allowed to nominate what they nominate and then have Christmas documentaries in there in their past yay though the little children be decimated and strewn about the landscape like strawberry jam on a toast field <laughs> right just 90 minutes of the most depressing fucking unchristmas unjolly shit you've ever the horrifying visuals they're not allowed no. i agree yeah. they're not allowed like christmas in syria i don't I, I don't want that documentary no offense i watched the syria documentaries mm-hmm. i watched 10 of them they're all heart-wrenching yeah don't make yeah don't tie it into christmas that's that's wrong it would be wrong for that branch nominated all right good international film joyeux noel from 2005 2006 a little confirmation here yeah uh, you gave that a I nice review and a nice rundown in our last episode yeah i wasn't positive that it did get nominated i didn't like look it up and here it is so that's cool michael animated feature and this is the category that i thought would be low yeah this is a travesty man Happy Feet, Frozen, Ice Age, they're movies set in the snow, but they're not Christmas films. There's no Christmas animated film Makes no nominated sense. in the animated feature except for Claws from Netflix last year? Yeah, I don't understand that. And Claws is a fine, uh, fine enough representation, but we got to do better in this category. I know it's a relatively new category, but it's still yeah. been around for like over a decade now. Rudolph... Uh, the Claymation Rudolph came out in 1964, and it's 47 minutes, which means it is long enough to at least be considered an animated feature, even though it did debut on TV. Frosty mm-hmm. debuted in 1969. That was a TV short. I think it's 25 minutes. But you have to imagine if the category was around then, Rudolph would be in this conversation right now. But still, sure. the fact remains, it's impossible we don't have more award-worthy, high-quality, top-level Christmas animated features. Come on. That should be and easy pickings, no? I guess it's an industry thing. Like you just I'm surprised that people haven't made more animated Christmas features for yeah, big same here. Same here. I, yeah. Although the anyway. Grinch so wait, the Grinch from a couple of years ago wasn't nominated? No. No, you're right. Was not nominated. Okay. Yeah, I mean this was one of the categories that I actually just looked up all the animated feature nominees because it hasn't been around that long. I just kind of skimmed it. That movie that was, was pretty good cool too. Yeah, I mean, Claus is fine. Yeah, I just don't I want Claus right. to beat Toy Story 17. Right. Because I don't care if it's Toy Story 17. Toy Story 17 should win. Right, exactly. Agreed. It's Toy Story. <laughs> anyway, I have nostalgia too. Michael, we'll kind of go quickly through the rest of these nominees. Adapted screenplay, there are three. The Lion in Winter, James Goldman won, adapted from his play. 
we have Carol, Phyllis Nagy. We have Miracle on 34th Street won twice uh, for Motion Picture Story and Best Screenplay. How about those confusing categories? Uh, yeah, those are confusing <laughs> categories. I don't know what the difference is. <laughs> Me neither. Anyway, uh, The Lion in Winter, one of my favorite scripts ever. I, again, I, going back to Ma Rainey last episode, I love it when uh, these plays are nominated and, or, and adapted. This felt like uh, just, uh, just reading your copy and going through the doc you set up, this felt like you just subliminally trying to push me towards watching The Lion in Winter. So I was just, I'm, I'm not watching this movie, Mike. Stop trying. I don't <laughs> put it first for no reason. I mean, I put it first for that reason. But it beat out Neil Simon's The Odd Couple. It beat out Oliver, which won Best Picture. Oh. And it beat out, The Lion in Winter beat out Rosemary's Baby that year in 68-69. Interesting. You're still, I wonder, you're still not watching. I wonder if that was a genre thing or if... Because Rosemary's Baby was very controversial at the time, mm-hmm. but I, I it's, you know, you can wonder all you want. It's a great screenplay, and it should have won. Because oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to take anything away no. from it. Yeah, I'm not no. trying to take. It. I'm no. just, I'm just curious about you know horror and the Oscars is always something that I'm going to fast be fascinated with. Anyway, Carol lost to The Big Short and Miracle on 34th Street. I don't know when the last time you saw this movie, but I rewatched it for this. And the legal loophole that they use, I'm not going to spoil it. It's kind of funny. It's, it's adorable. But the legal loophole, do you, is there any chance you remember it? And can you just say, yes, it could fly and make the argument or no, no way? Uh, were they going out on a limb here, Michael? Okay, here's what happens in 2020 if that courtroom scene happens in real life. Santa is taken away in cuffs. Yeah, good. <laughs> and the postmaster and that lawyer would be held in contempt credits that's the movie that's your miracle on 34th street in 2020 and it doesn't you know you don't need the judge from the trial of chicago 7 to be involved just any normal right right i mean having that much evidence just dumped i mean that alone would have caused a scolding in the courtroom anyway delightful movie still great miracle on 34th street i don't want to throw shade no it's going to come up a few more times during these last few categories I'm picking the lion in winter. Do you? You don't. I have, can't. Yeah, the only one of these yeah. I've seen is uh, is Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, and I don't even know that I've seen uh, that version of it. So I, I have to sit this one out and just trust your judgment. Michael, original screenplay. There is one Wikipedia approved, Wikipedia stamped Christmas movie here, and guess what Christmas movie it is? It's a strange pick. Yeah, no shit, huh? In Bruges from Martin McDonough. Three billboards, Martin McDonough in 08-09. He lost to Milk and Dustin's Lance Black screenplay. So Mar- so In Bruges is a Christmas movie. Right, why? Meet Me in St. Louis, not a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, catch me it seems you- a little off. It seems a little off because I, I've seen In Bruges quite a bit. I mean, I enjoy that movie even though it doesn't quite it's good. It's funny. all yeah. that well. It's kind of messed up. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you can just uh, do the Brant gesture to that film, it's still good. There's a Christmas suit. There's a snowy scene. I don't you know can if... see Colin Farrell's breath in a couple scenes, so you know it's winter. <laughs> but you have full Christmas sequences and Little Women and Meet Me in St. Louis. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand that at all. Silliness. Okay, supporting actress Carol Rooney Mara was nominated in 1516. She lost to Alicia Vikander of the Danish Girl. Michael, I was very impressed with Vikander uh, at the Oscar Olympics over the summer when I finally caught up on the Danish Girl. But look, I mean, Rooney Mara is just incredible in Carol. She would win by a landslide this year. 
I have to watch this movie. Yeah. I, I just have to. I gotta get. I gotta knock it out. Worth it for her alone. But of yeah. course, Kate Blanchett. My God, supporting actor. We have one nominee here as well. This is Edmund Gwen, who's Santa at Miracle on 34th Street, 47-48. He beat Charles Bickford, Thomas Gomez, Robert Ryan, and Richard Widmark. And he beat them handily because he is in every scene of this movie. <laughs> this is the category fraud of all time. This is a movie about Santa Claus, and he is Santa Claus, and he is in every single scene of the film. How they rationalize to put him in supporting actor, I will never know. Edmund Gwen. Just it's on its face saying Santa is a supporting character is just blasphemy. It is. It's ridiculous. Uh, I went back and I watched the presentation of Gwen accepting this award at that uh, 48 Oscars and Baster presented it. And as she's reading off the nominees, the place just goes crazy for applause when Gwen's name is read to the point where the commentator actually says, well, the applause may give you a clue as to who the winner is. <laughs> and then surely enough, that's whose name Baxter reads. So I think that was a shoe in. But for that reason, right? Like this had to be category fraud. If that's the movie that you're awarding Santa for, he's a lead character. Totally. And probably Rooney Mara is probably a lead character in oh, Carol okay. as well, I would say. I mean, they're both I mean, she's in almost every scene of that movie too. So anyway, category fraud has always been a thing. For... Is it worse than than uh, Trading Places just taking Mozart and calling it an original score? That's a good question. <laughs> I, I think in terms of uh, crimes of Trading Places that is not the worst of Trading Places <laughs> crimes, so I'll fair. say that. Anyway, All right, Michael. fair. Category 21 here is lead actor, and we actually got a choice now. We have James Stewart from 46, 47, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, and we have Peter O'Toole, which, you know, you can watch some clips and get a sense for his uh, king, whatever, I forget. Uh, he has a career of getting snubbed at the Oscars. He is 0 for 8 at the Oscars, Peter O'Toole. He won one BAFTA. He won four Golden Globes, one Emmy. So this is a man who was only able to charm the Hollywood Foreign Press, who was only able to charm BAFTA once. But BAFTA basically recognized at one point, they were like, this is one of the best British actors who's exactly. ever lived. Yeah. And uh, no matter what he said, I mean, he, they ha there has to be a story behind this. You don't go 0 for 8 unless you talk some just spectacular shit against the industry, right? <laughs> I don't know how he didn't win for Lawrence of Arabia. I always assumed he did. And The Last Emperor won nine Oscars in 1988, and he couldn't get, like, a legacy nom and win for supporting in that movie? Uh, that's crazy to me. He finally did get an honorary Oscar in 2003, but mm. IMDb, if you go on his CV, his bio page doesn't even say he's a one-time Oscar winner. It just says no. he was nominated eight times. Do you think, if you're Peter O'Toole... Mm -hmm. You've had this illustrious career. You're one of the best actors ever to do it. Would you even want that Oscar into it? Like, I'm sure the answer is yes, okay? I'm sure the answer is sure, of course, you want the Oscar. But after doing everything he's done, do you think he actually cared about being given the honorary Oscar in 03? I think he cared, but I I think uh, I think it was almost like a defiant um moment for him i don't know this is like one of the reasons where i'm wondering like maybe we should do more oscar history and episodes like this maybe i want to go into like how did he lose and maybe we gotta you know we gotta seek out that history i'm very he was curious just notorious for getting up from the table and he was done eating without cleaning his spot and it just pissed off too many actors and hot yeah there goes peter o'toole the food lever the food lever. this is where our <laughs> ignorance is taking us today yours and mine i just stutter and you just yeah okay it's who christmas you, break you're picking james <laughs> 
Stewart, or are you just giving yes. Peter O'Toole any kind of Oscar recognition? No, no the, his his streak continues. I'm picking Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, I'm picking Jimmy Stewart as well because it's a Christmasier movie. Yes, and The Lion in Winter probably should not be considered a Christmas movie, really, because they're just it's. And then again, it's like works as a crazy family at Christmas movie because they're kind of def, you know defining the fate of the kingdom based on all their arguments, but trying anyway. to it's it's basically Hamlet in a way. Yeah, yeah a, well, it's that there. again, you know, it's like the family stone, but better. <laughs> In that yeah, way, that's, Man, exactly, I've been, that's exactly what I thought of movie I, I watched the trailer in, for it. Another movie I got in trouble for slamming. Anyway, <laughs> Michael, lead actress. We have Kate Blanchett from Carol. She lost to Brie Larson of Room in 2015-16. We have the winner in 68-69, Catherine Hepburn, who won in a tie with Barbara Streisand as Fanny Bryce in Funny Girl, which was a, a watch that I enjoyed this year, watching it for the first time, Funny Girl. The Lion in Winter's Catherine Hepburn versus Kate Blanchett here. So, uh, having only seen the trailer for Lion in Winter, Hepburn is killing it with yeah. the line she's given in that trailer. I mean, she's staring daggers right at Peter O'Toole and just talking shit to him the entire time. It's really impressive, even for just a three-minute cut. She is an estranged wife of his, and he's mm-hmm. trying to kind of usurp her power, or he's holding that over her head. Or yeah. she, they're trying to figure out who's the uh, heir to the throne. Is it Hopkins? Is it Dalton? Is it somebody else? And uh, Peter O'Toole and Catherine Hepburn are going mano y mano that whole movie. It's great. Yeah, I, I, it is. It does give me you know motivation to want to seek it out and watch it. But I, again, we'll have to defer to your judgment here. Well, she won the year before, so she won two years in a row. She won for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and she won for The Lion in Winter. Uh, I love Kate Blanchett and Carol, but i got to go with Capriff Hepburn here. And it almost, you know, out of reverence, I would say, and the fact that Kate Blanchett seems to be with me because she played Catherine Hepburn so perfectly in The Aviator, mm. she, would, she would agree that we'd have to pick Catherine Hepburn here. It all comes full circle once again. Michael, only one director of a Christmas movie, according to Wikipedia, was ever nominated, and that's Frank Capra in 1946-47 for It's a Wonderful Life. He lost to William Wyler, as that movie and many movies did that year, to the best years of our lives. What did you think of the direction of that film? So if it's the entire life is wonderful, Mm -hmm. and he lost out to a movie which is saying specifically there's only these particular years which were the best... Mm -hmm. I, I, that's that's all I've got there. I, I well, no, you're get, you're. I, I'll finish your train of thought. I mean, movies are probably better made about years of our lives rather than an entire life. I would agree mm. with you. I mean, it, mm. who? We just saw a movie recently where oh, Mank. Yeah, Mank was like you know the the guy who was uh, his uh, editor who became a famous actor years later. Anyway, mm-hmm. Mank uh, Mank's editor in that movie's like. You know, you can't make a movie about somebody's whole life. You can only, you know, try mm-hmm. and yeah, well, I think yeah. Mank says this to him. You know, Gary Oldman says this to him. You can only fool them that it's uh, so he's defending his circular story structure. I uh, I appreciate you taking my nonsense and turning it into an actual point there. So good job by you. It's it's true. Anyway, all right, best picture, last category. Three Christmas movies, according to Wikipedia, exist in this category. We're nominated at the Academy Awards. It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street, and The Lion in Winter. They all are best picture losers. Michael, do you have an opinion on the best best picture nom of Christmas at the Oscars? 
I, I mean, if it's a Christmas movie and we're talking about the best picture of Christmas movies, it should be. It's a Wonderful Life, I yeah. think. Or yeah. Miracle or Thir- or I guess the cynical, the cynic in me, the, the harsh critic, the bitter individual sh- would go for the power grab movie instead that has just nods to Christmas in it. <laughs> but I, I, it's a wonderful life for me. The Lion in Winter is the best movie here, but even my calloused humbug heart could not say <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life or Miracle on 34th Street. And again, I enjoyed my 34th Street rewatch after like 15, 20 years. I watched that the other night, and It's a Wonderful Life. I'm kind of, you know, I, I probably watched Die Hard and It's a Wonderful Life uh, around Christmas. I will not be watching it on NBC because I'm not an appointment viewer anymore i'll watch it on amazon prime which i think it's at miracle on 34th street folks is on uh, disney plus and the lion in winter is only vod right now again you can watch coupled lion in winters it's not the glenn close patrick stewart version although that's pretty good too this is peter o'toole katherine hepburn from 6869 should make a movie about a guy who can't tell the truth between the months of october to january and call it lion in winter <laughs> yeah they could that'd be uh <laughs> A uh, movie to star Jim Carrey. Yeah. Told you. This Jim- movie making process is fucking simple. All right, guys, <laughs> on a way more serious note, uh, we thank you very much uh, for listening to Mike, Mike, and Oscar uh, all year long. We hope this was a, a little bit of a fun uh, exercise here, get you into the Christmas spirit somewhat, to enlighten you with some Oscars history and some Christmas crossover. Uh, what's most important from Mike and myself is we want you to have a happy holidays, be, uh, be safe, be careful out there, mm-hmm. and we can't wait to get back to you guys after the Christmas break so as always uh we want to hear from you about these movies did we miss anything are there others we're overlooking uh let us know fill us in who are your winners of course as well you can leave us comments questions or concerns about all of that or anything else we do here in the mmo empire on our social medias we are mike mike and oscar on facebook and instagram at mm and oscar on twitter mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit we are available everywhere you hear podcasts including and especially the apple podcast app where if you happen to be listening to us on that app right Right now, as a little Christmas gift, you could go in, take 10 seconds, and leave us a five-star review. That'd be the best gift that we can get for ourselves this season. They truly help out a lot. Michael, uh, say your words of wisdom here, and let's let the people know what's coming next from MMO. So, words of wisdom was donate to Wikipedia, although you said a lot of things but, uh, very wise and, and nice about uh, wishing people a happy holidays. That should be considered as well. Anything we said during that uh, uh, segment about asses and... <laughs> High school years and all boys school. <laughs> I, I forgot to mention it. I went to an all boys high school oh, in that reference. So okay. that's why yeah. the whole contentious yeah. rooting for the witch hiney anyway yeah. would be, you know, something that got out of control and really. I also like ugly. that you keep using the word hiney like we're doing this podcast in nineteen seventy nine. I need to put the context, the nineteen <laughs> early two thousands uh, content nineteen early two thousands. Anyway, I'm shot at the end of this episode. Let me see if I can remember what's coming next. We have Pixar's soul. We have one night in my Miami will be doing a bunch of Oscar spread profile movie reviews over the next few weeks. Promising Young Woman and News of the Worlds may, may come a few weeks later. Stuff I'm actually looking forward to. Yeah, so we got a January full of movie reviews, Pieces of a Woman, something we've already seen and enjoyed. We'll probably do an episode on that. We'll continue Oscar race checkpoints, and we'll, uh, we'll have some surprise fun episodes for you uh, throughout the uh, Oscar programming as well. We don't just do Oscar programming for the next four months. We do some fun episodes like this one uh, as well. So look forward to it, Mike. That's all on the horizon. But once again, have a happy holiday. Have a safe holiday. We will see you all on the other side of Christmas. Guys, when reality sucks, you can come read about the Christmas and the Oscar crossover with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. Be safe out there. We will see you very soon.
See you.